and welcome to Toddler Purgatory. I am Blair. And I'm Molly. Welcome, everybody. Hey, hey. Today, we are talking about the most essential thing you need in life besides a good book. Sleep. Is a good book right up there with sleep? No, not really. Not really. Because if it's a bad book, it'll put you to sleep. (laughs) It sure will. I'll tell you what, I honestly thought you were going to say something about chocolate or truffle popcorn. I should have said truffle popcorn. All back to episode one or two. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, today we're talking about sleep help. And let me tell you something. So many kids have problems sleeping, whether they're young kids or older kids. The American Academy of Family Physicians back in 2014 said epidemiological studies indicate that up to 50 percent of children experience a sleep problem. Wow. And about four percent have a formal sleep disorder diagnosis. That means so many kids, our kids, kids, you know, especially young kids under the age of six, which is our group, can use help. And we have some today for them. Yes, and today we have amazing help for our listeners. Molly, who's with us today? Today we have sleep expert Becca Campbell, and she is with Little Z's Sleep. She's a consultant and actually a former middle school science teacher. Yes. Isn't that cool? We have her coming up. She answers some of our sleep questions. She answers some of your sleep questions. She answers questions we didn't even know we had. Didn't even know existed. Didn't even know we're part of the whole sleep equation. Yes, exactly. And we know how important sleep is for kids. We know that our kids' sleep can get thrown off by even one night of being able to stay up late to have a movie night, which is what we do in our house sometimes. And sometimes it does bring my son past his bedtime. And he ain't right for (laughs) days after that, (laughs) frankly. I can't believe I just said he ain't right. He ain't right. He ain't right. And it's so important. Actually, Parents Magazine, which we love, author Sarah Mahoney says, when kids get the sleep they need, they may have a lower risk of becoming overweight and developing diabetes, as well as fewer learning problems and attention issues. Sleep is as important as nutrition and exercise. And as we covered earlier, books and truffle popcorn. (laughs) It's when the body repackages neurotransmitters, chemicals that enable brain cells to communicate. And experts have recently been able to demonstrate that sleep allows brain cells to take out the trash, quote unquote, each night, flushing out disease causing toxins. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes me want to lay down right now. Oh, I accept. I do. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like a hint to me that we should all take a little nappy poo today. Oh my gosh. Take out the trash. Yes, please. Take out the trash. Clear the toxins from your brain. I love that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'd struggle with what to say to my son to get him to go to sleep. And that's what I'm going to (laughs) say. You need to go to bed and take Take out out your brain's trash. And he'll be like, like, I don't know what that means, mama. (laughs) Take out your trash. Take out your paper and your trash. But yeah, so it's clear that our kids getting enough sleep is an issue. Well, that's the other thing I wanted to say is that American Academy of Family Physicians, quote, was back from 2014. We can imagine. Wow. I don't know about you all, but like my sleep has been terrible since, I don't know, March 2020. (laughs) Filled with anxiety and rage all the time. So here's the crazy thing. The American Academy of Family Physicians thing that I told you guys about that indicate up to 50% of children experience a sleep problem, that was from back in 2014. I think it's going to be really interesting after this crazy time that we're all living in to look back and hear what the experts have to say about how children's sleep has been since, oh, I don't know, March 2020. (laughs) Hey, Blair, how's your sleep been? Uh, I use a good trash dump. Let's just say that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So we're being affected in so many ways, and so are our children. So in just a few minutes, we'll be back, and we'll hear from Becca Campbell, sleep expert, about ways that we can help improve our kids' lives and our kids' sleep lives, and thus improve our own lives. Because if the kids are sleeping, we're all sleeping. We gonna sleep. And I'm all for that. (laughs) Me too. Stick around, y'all. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. 
Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to Toddler Purgatory. Today, we are talking about all things sleep-related to our little babies and our little toddlers. Molly, who we got in the house today? We are so excited to have Becca Campbell. She's the founder and creator of Little Z Sleep Consulting, where parents can easily get sleep help through online courses for children ages zero to five years old. That is the sweet spot for this podcast. Her sleep e-coaching programs and her Little Z Sleep podcast have helped thousands of families around the world make sleep a thing. She is the mom to Ellie, six years old, and Hattie, four years old. And she lives outside the beautiful town of Richmond, Virginia. Welcome, Becca. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Feeling so excited to be here. So now we posted a query on the What Fresh Hell podcast group on Facebook and asked people for their just very important sleep questions because most of us have dealt with sleep problems in our kids' lives. Some of them are suffering from them now. So most of the questions that we got were for a little bit older kids in our demographic, kind of two years old to five years old. So I'd like to talk really quickly about newborn schedules, especially because that was, you know, almost five years ago for me. But I remember it being a foggy time and all my friends were kind of who were going through the same kind of thing with their kids had maybe similar experiences, but they were also all a little different. And I'm just wondering, is there a template? Is there a rule book (laughs) for helping newborns and helping us get on a sleep schedule with newborns? Or do we just have to kind of say, listen, all newborns are different and just never wake a sleeping baby? So yes, there is a template for sure. But no, we're not looking at like, oh, well, every kid is different. So we'll just wing it kind of thing. So the template for newborns is really, really simple. I don't want people to get overcomplicated by it. Newborns have everything to do with Mm -hmm. eat, sleeping, and pooping, which can get confused and twisted into the baby-wise eat, play, sleep, which that's a whole sleep philosophy that is fine and it can work. But my biggest mission that I want parents to know is they don't need to spend their every waking Mm -hmm. moment with their newborn consumed Mm -hmm. with like, oh my gosh, today I didn't eat, play, sleep. Oh, it's a terrible day. Like, that's just not a thing. And you also should have that time to enjoy your newborn's temperament. And if anyone wants more on this, this is Tracy Hogg, the baby whisperer. She coined like the four categories of the newborn. We all kind of joke around like you've got the angel baby. That one everybody remembers. Like the angel baby is the perfect baby. You know, your friend that seemed to have no problem at all and could go out to, you know, lunch all day and and everything was fine. And your newborn's like Mm -hmm. screaming the second you decide you want to go somewhere. That was me and Ellie. She was like the high needs baby. But even though every kid has their different temperament, every newborn does have the same awake needs. They have the same feeding needs, whether that is breast or bottle. And so there are certain templates that you can put in place. And that I love because you really should feel just confident about that newborn stage. And like, all right, I'm going to start my timer, your wake time, then you're going to go in for a nap. Like we've got a rhythm going on. And that's really all we're trying to aim for is a day-to-day rhythm that you can find that, yeah, it's going to fluctuate day-to-day, but we can still have the same ideas in place every single day. Love it. Wait, talk about this timer thing. You said set your timer. I didn't set my timer. What is this? I didn't either. That's why I had my oldest. I just thought Ellie was the most alert baby. Even my neighbor was like, I guess you got a pretty awake baby. I'm like, I guess so. I guess that's a thing. <laughs> I would keep her awake for hours mm. and hours just thinking like, well, she's never falling asleep. So I guess this is what we do. But then she would just be so exhausted. The only place she would sleep is on me. Mm. And that's how I got into sleep in the first place mm. was because she was under my covers one day. And I was like, nope, that's not safe. <laughs> so I realized through the education that like, oh, there is a sweet spot. There's a timer. So really, really easy. If you're listening and you have a newborn, the next time they wake up during the day, as soon as they open their eyes and you pick them up, start your timer. And if you have a zero to eight week old, I want you to set a timer for 45 minutes. 
that's it. And in that 45 minutes, you're feeding, you're changing, you're burping, you're, I don't know, maybe feeding again, if they feel like cluster feeding, you're just being with your baby, air quotes, play, whatever you want to do. And when that timer hits at the end of 45 minutes, you're swaddling them back up, you're getting them back to down for their nap, whether that's on you or in the bassinet or on the go. But that 45 minute timer is that's all you need to do during the day. That sounds so like, Oh, that's so easy. That's all you need to do. There's a lot. You're doing a lot, mom. (laughs) Right. But that 45 minutes does seem much more manageable in the grand scheme of taking care of everyone. Now, what can we do, Becca, when our newborn resists this? Mm. Is it going to take a few days? Is there a transition time to it? Do most newborns kind of take to it right away? So that's what I love about this is that, yes, they really can take to it right away. And probably the biggest question I get from newborn parents is like, well, my baby won't sleep anywhere but on me. And then my reply to that, that detective mindset is like, well, it has nothing to do with your environment or, well, how was the feed? Or, you know, were you stressed? Like, it's none of that. It really is. Well, how long was the baby awake for? Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess it's been a couple hours. Well, that's why. Mm. So when parents are looking for a solution to just help make their life a little bit more manageable, like let's stop let's try to like minimize the witching hour let's try to mm. get the baby in a bassinet not on me all day so i can take care of myself that 45 to at most 60 minutes that really is something that they biologically need and so that's helpful if you're starting with 45 minutes and you're like wow this is really hard then bump it to 50 minutes that seems like not a big deal but in newborn world 5 minutes is a very big deal so play around between 45 and 60 minutes to find where your little one's sweet spot is to help them fall asleep and experiment that. And that that's kind of that like asterisk on the template. Every kid is different. Every kid will be somewhere in there, but that's a good general guideline. Wow. That's key. Totally. As they get older, one thing I saw is you said babies aren't robots. Changes There are changes in sleep from zero to 12 months old. It's true, right? Babies aren't robots. So are there some clear signs that somebody should be looking for as their baby gets older? That sleep schedule will be changing. Do we follow the cues of our baby? Is there anything that we can kind of loosely apply to their sleep schedule to follow their natural rhythms? Yeah. So things do change drastically from obviously development wise, but sleep wise from zero to 12 months old. And I'm so passionate about that because sometimes you feel like there's no roadmap. Like maybe you did, you had an angel baby and everything was great and your kid is sleeping awesome. But then four to six months hits, which I think is personally the hardest age gap within the Mm -hmm. zero to 12 months. And there is so much change that happens. And so one thing that we provide at Little Z's is our sleep society. And I sat down and created roadmaps that are... I'm a video person. I'm a talker person. So every single month, you have a new task, if you will. Okay, four months old, your baby's changed. Here's your new awake time. Instead of 60 minutes, it's now 75 to 90 minutes. And now you're five months old. Okay, now it's this new awake time. And by the way, they're rolling. They're maybe starting to think about solids now at six months old. How does that play into our schedule? So every single month, we give families the new roadmap of things that happen. But even between zero to 12 months old, you could be going from five to six naps a day for a newborn. And sometimes at 12 months, they're ready for one nap a day. So there is a whole heck of a lot of change that happens in just one year. And I want parents to feel confident and knowing that like, oh, Mm -hmm. every month things change, Mm -hmm. sometimes just slightly and sometimes big time. But being prepared for that actually can help you avoid those Mm -hmm. massive regression ages like at eight months, Mm -hmm. 12 months, Mm -hmm. 18, blah, 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 blah. You know, kids always change. So it's just a thing. And to give parents a peace of mind that it's okay. Like it's going to happen. So yeah, even if it doesn't feel normal or natural, it, regardless, these are the things that happen and it's okay. Breathe your way through it and get some sleep. Exactly. I sometimes think that we've gotten very, like, as parents, we're obviously surrounded by so much good information, but also there's so much information. We're like, so much "Ah, information. I'm about to hit a stormy, yeah, like the stormy period is coming. I guess we, you know, gotta lock the doors and not go anywhere. Like, no, (laughs) please live your life. It's okay. Just because your app says you're in a storm, it's fine. Like, so it's definitely, you know, I got my opinions about that. I know exactly what you're talking about because that's exactly what I did, girl. I was like, uh oh, it's the week. It's the week <laughs> of the storm. 
I know. I think it's like sometimes fear-based. Sure. Like like, it is. And then it's, you kind of forget to just enjoy it. And that's why we're, you know, I was talking about right before this, like I'm in this sweet spot with my girls where they're not in diapers, they're not in bottles. Like it's coming. It's great. It's going to be great guys. Mm-hmm. But we also mm-hmm. don't have cell phones. We don't have makeup. And I'm like, just enjoy it. Right. Just enjoy exactly. it. Yes. So wherever exactly. you are, it's just like, enjoy that time because it's true. The cliche is true. They're never going to be this time again. But yeah, we don't have to stress about all things. You can have confidence in what you're doing. I want to skip just very quickly because of what you just said about the sleep regression at early ages. Tina, one of our listeners, has a question, and she actually says, is there a four-year-old sleep regression? My once amazing sleeper is having such a hard time going to sleep now. She'll stay up way past bedtime. I have to keep checking on her, sitting in her room, getting her water, you name it. We have never switched up her very strict bedtime routine, so we can't figure out what changed and what to do now. Yeah. So there may not be like a labeled like four years regress at this point, but there are a lot of background questions I would ask Tina. I would ask like, is your child napping? Because generally a three to five year old may still be napping. And so but parents like hate it when I say this, but between two and a half to three and a half years old, naps generally go away. And if that's the case, really between like three years, even up to like my oldest is seven. In this age, this like older preschool, young elementary school, they still need anywhere between 10 to 12 hours of sleep a day. But that's yeah, per 24 hours. So if Tina's four year old is napping for two hours in the middle of the day, then you only need maybe 10, maybe nine hours at nighttime. So it is a math equation. Sometimes we have to look at with that. But that's such a first thing I would say is, well, if there's a nap going on, then maybe cut the nap back to maybe just 60 minutes, maybe just 45 minutes. I don't know about you, but I would rather have a fuller nighttime than a nap in the middle of the day. That's just my life and where I am. I'm like, I want to have tap out at 730. That's my like, I live for that, right? Like, that's what I want. But not that's not what everybody wants. And that's fine. So just acknowledge if there is a nap. Oh, okay, well, then, if you're trying to do the bedtime at the same time, you've always done, then your four year old's tired yet. But if there is no nap, and they're just fighting you, then we may need to look at getting stricter with our expectations. And honestly, summer is the perfect time where we just kind of like, ah, free flow, like, let's go outside. Oh, now it's time for bedtime. Let's throw you in bed. And sometimes we just kind of forget about the routines. And if that's the case for Tina, then I would suggest I love the hatch toddler clock. We have that. Yes. Yeah. Hard yes. Yeah. I love using that to cue up bedtime. And we teach a four-step color system for this age because they know stoplights, right? So we're going to use a stoplight feature where green is like, okay, let's go get ready for bed. Go brush your teeth. Go take a shower, whatever you're doing. Okay, then it's yellow. And this is like, okay, everybody slow down. Okay, buddy, what do you need? Do you need tissues? Do you need water? Do you need another hug? Do you need to sing a song? You know, all those things that that they're like, I want this. I want that. As soon as you walk out the room, Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. right before you say goodnight, let the clock be yellow for like two minutes and just look at them like, oh, what would you like? Socks, water, tissues. What can I get you? Right. Let me serve you. And then after (laughs) that clock is yellow, oh, clock is red, time for bed. And everything shuts down. So I find that by offering that little yellow pause of like, what do you need? They get it all out of their system. Then you're saying, okay, clock is time, red's time for bed, good night. And then the fourth color being blue or whatever you want for morning time. But that little pause can be really helpful for a kid who is just trying to like stall to their heart's content. Oh, so yeah. that's like two answers for Tina. One is nap. The other is maybe we need to get the colors going. That's such a good idea. We have the hatch clock and all we do is sort of like a soft amber glow at night yeah. while he's sleeping with the white noise. And then it's green. We have been doing so far when he wakes up and when it turns green, he gets up and comes and gets us or whatever. But I love that idea of a three or four light system, Yeah, especially at night. He's, he gets a little squirrely some nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, they sometimes just have a mind of their own. And if you can let them like air quotes here, like be in charge for just a little bit of time, yeah. it can be really helpful. Let's just scoot back to naps for a second. We have a couple listeners. Valerie wanted to know, is capping naps absolutely necessary? Sometimes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it depends on like your age or maybe your goals, right? So I capped my youngest daughter's nap so that I could get the heck out of my house. When I had a kid on a two nap schedule and a kid on a one nap schedule, you're just home all day because you got a morning nap, a midday nap, an afternoon nap. It's like, what? Why am I doing this? Right. So then I started to just cap my baby's morning nap and be like, okay, 
Does that mean ending it on a schedule? Yeah, like I would end it early. I'd be like, you can nap for 30 minutes and then I'm going to wake you up and then we're going to get out of the house and we're going to play and we're going to go have fun and I'm going to like go do whatever I want for two and a half hours. Then we're going to all come home and reconvene for our afternoon nap time, you know? So you could do it like that Mm -hmm. sometimes, but for toddlers who need to cap their naps, yes, it's definitely a thing. Sometimes around two years old, they really only need maybe an hour and a half to two hours of a nap. And maybe they've been napping for like two and a half to three hours. So definitely you Mm -hmm. may need, I like to experiment by just like shaving 15 minutes off at a time. If you feel like bedtime has become really hard and all of a sudden they're just fighting it, we'll start shaving 15 minutes off the nap, like once a week, just shave another 15 minutes off. See if that helps. So that's, yeah, you can definitely play. Okay, cool. This is actually a question from one of our listeners, Jill, but this is actually a question Blair has because my two-year-old is uh, starting to show signs, I think. I mean, I'm praying to God not, but stopping the naps. So what are like clear signs that they're like, I'm done, Ma. Mm -hmm. We're good on the naps. What are the signs of dropping that for the second nap or naps altogether. Yeah. So I don't wish this. I know I don't wish it on anybody. Our girls dropped their nap and I tried so hard at two years and four months old. That's really early. And I just like to think I was being tested, you know, like, let's see what you got, Becca. And so (laughs) I tried, but they both did it very differently. So Sometimes the child is resisting bedtime. They're napping just fine. In fact, they're like, I'm ready for my nap. And they nap blissfully. And you're like, this is great. And then you put them to bed at the same time. And all of a sudden, they're either fighting it verbally. And they're telling you like, I'm not tired. Mm -hmm. Or they're just playing in their bed. And that was my oldest. She would just do acrobats. And she'd flip around. And she'd play. And for like an hour, I was like, okay, this is obviously too much. And my second, she did the reverse. She would not nap. And then I'd be like, oh, well, shoot, you didn't nap today. So what do I need to do? And so it can be either or it could be they're fighting bedtime, but they're napping blissfully or they're not napping at all. And then what do you do? Well, you got to put them to bed early because they're just so tired because they never napped. So you may find it's it could be either one of those. The final one, this is a little bit more rare, but you could find a kid who is napping and maybe falling asleep. Okay. But they're waking up at like 4am ready to go because they're getting all their sleep needs. They're getting a nap and they're going to bed, but they just don't need that much. So they're kind of three different ways you could look at it. Yeah. Oh, how could you not need sleep? I know. (laughs) I'll take all that extra sleep that they're not taking. I will take all the kids, all the kids wanting to donate your extra sleep. (laughs) This mom will take it. And I know a couple others. I want to actually, this question that's coming up is perfect for what you just said, the jumping in acrobats on the bed, (laughs) especially at bedtime. So a question that came up a lot in our listeners' questions was about syncing up naps or differently timed wake-ups, etc., while two siblings are sharing the same room who have vastly different ages. That came up so much, and I feel I only have one child, but I do have an older sister. And the sleep schedule of one kid affects the sleep schedule of another. Just as an example, Amy, one of our listeners, says... Should I move my five-month-old in with my just-about-to-turn-four-year-old or put them in separate rooms and give up our guest room? If I put them together, what are your tips to handle middle-of-the-night wakings, bedtime routines, nap times, etc.? Yeah, okay. And that is a pretty substantial age gap in the sleep needs department, right? Yeah, right, So, I mean, if I were in that situation, I would try to advocate for separating them, especially if you do have the separate space. I know that stinks because you're like, well, great, I got to give up my guest room. But that four-year-old can really start to build independence on having some like reading time to herself for about 10 minutes, uh, reading lightly, like looking at a book. Or maybe she can wake up in the morning, (laughs) like maybe okay to wake time is at seven, but it's okay for her to turn on her light at 630 and just kind of like hang out in her room for a little bit. Like if you did that with a five-month-old in the room, that just wouldn't go over very well. So I would suggest like, okay, let's keep those ages separate. But if they are a little bit closer and maybe they have kind of a similar-ish schedule, that's where our girls were a little under two years apart and they shared a room for the first five years of their lives. And this worked out fine, except for, yes, when nap schedules changed. And so then what we did was I would just kind of sacrificed one of them and be like, well, you know, you're not really ready, but you're going to go down 15 minutes early. And I know that you're not going to scream the house down. You're just going to lay there. And you know what? I'm tired. So if you just lay there for a little bit and everything's fine, we're okay here. But then 
there were times as their age started to differentiate that, oh, okay, all right, that's not helpful. You're just going to get in there and talk the whole room down and not let your sister fall asleep. So we'll do bedtime together because I don't want to tell a family to like do two whole different bedtime routines. So do bedtime together. That's fine. And then maybe put one kid down if it's time. And the other kid, you could set up a quiet area for them to play in, or you could Mm -hmm. maybe go for a walk evening. The evening light is such a great thing for an older child to like soak up so that they are really getting that melatonin production going. That's an option for you. Or just have some family bonding Mm -hmm. time. Do a puzzle, read a book, like play together. We would bring my oldest, we'd bring her into our room and just like read extra books because that's what she loved for like another 20, 30 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. does seem like a chore. I know that I always want to f- preface that. Like, I know that seems like a chore. Like, no, read to your child for 30 minutes after your very long work day. But I'd rather you do that and separate, stagger their bedtimes a little bit than fight putting that kid down, knowing that they're just going to like, you know, talk and sing. And then you're going to be stressed out because the other kid's not sleeping. So you can definitely stagger things and maybe use that as an opportunity to pour some one on one time into your older kiddo. That's great advice. First of all, I love what you said about doing the bedtime routine together. So then that older kid who's on a different schedule at bedtime is in pajamas, teeth brushed, all that stuff. And they, those two kids have that bonding time together to be able to do that, which is really great. Yeah. My two love the whole getting ready for bedtime together. My oldest one like helps brush the little one's teeth. Oh, come on. Sometimes he reads her stories so before, you know, while mommy and daddy are yep. finishing up our dinner or our glasses of wines yes. that were left at the table. <laughs> but yeah, it's great. And then for our nap time, we put her down and then honestly, I put my oldest one in front of the TV and then uh, yep. I get yep. some stuff Absolutely. Wait, I'm with you. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta. <laughs> so Becca, you mentioned that the evening light produces that yummy melatonin. Now, we had a few questions about this one. What is the research on melatonin and little ones. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, sometimes, yes, yeah, supplemental. So like, you know, you have those days. Is it bad for their natural melatonin production? And I'm not talking about like occasional use or, or while you're traveling. I'm talking like right. nightly dosages, you know. Is it something that, because I know some parents out there, I'm raising my hand. You know, you have those nights where you're just like, whoa, dude, it's time to go to sleepy time. Oh, here's a little something that helps mama out. That's in a child's dosage. Uh, (laughs) Try it out. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's such a good point. And it definitely is. There is research on this. I would definitely point if people are super interested in the science of sleep. My favorite is Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. He also has a master class. If you're like, I'd rather watch something. That's great, too. Mm. But this is what we know. We know that children do not need extra melatonin. Their bodies produce enough. The only segment, and this is relatively new research in the last like three to five years, we do see that some children with autism have some depletion of melatonin. So in those cases, they may need, they may benefit from some. But children... No, they don't need melatonin. We see it can help older um, adults. We do see that that could be helpful. But for children, there's really two things that I would see. One, they have enough melatonin, but they're overtired. And so Uh, what's being read is hyperactivity is like, well, hello, you're not ready for bed. You're bouncing off the walls. And I've been in homes with toddlers to help the families and the toddlers like doing laps around the living room. And they're like, (laughs) my kid's not tired. And I'm looking at the clock. Well, it's 830. They should have gone to bed an hour ago. Mm. And so usually a toddler and the true that toddler age, like 18 months up to three years old, their ideal bedtime is anywhere between like 6.30 and 8. Wow. Maybe 8.30 if they sleep until 7.30 or 8. But they need 11 to 12 hours of sleep all night long. And so as soon as I say this, some people are going to be like, oh, that explains things. But usually (laughs) after 8 o'clock, like 8.15, kids get toddlers get a second wind. Mm. And they're like, revved up. I'm ready to go. And in reality, they're so exhausted. There's no amount that you could do right then and there to be like, no, no, no. It's time to go to sleep. Their body is so overstimulated. They're so 
hyperactive because they're so overtired, we can back that clock up and try to aim to get them in bed between 7.30 and 8 then. So generally, that's what I see is when melatonin is being used, it's because the bedtime is not correct. And then like I said, with the sunlight, there's two ways that we can do this. It's the same that we would combat jet lag. Okay, in the evening after dinner, in the summer, and then in the fall, maybe before dinner, Mm -hmm. go for a walk outside or go to a playground for a little bit of time. If it's way too cold, if you're listening to this in the winter, just put your kid in front of the window with the sun, like put an activity right there. (laughs) And it's okay, because their body just needs to get that melatonin. So what's happening is we're in uh, right behind our eyes is the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Ooh, say that again. Suprachiasmatic nucleus. I know I'm so smart. (laughs) (laughs) What our brains and our bodies need to do is that we need to absorb the sunlight to help produce that melatonin. So the melatonin floods your body as the evening goes on. And you need melatonin not just to fall asleep, but to stay asleep all night long. And so if we can get outside in the evening to really help that melatonin production and help that whole flow of your body get going, the next part, the other bookend of our sunlight is in the morning. The very first thing when you get up, which I know the sun's miserable sometimes, like with your toddler, they want to go outside. So you may as well just honor it. If you can just get up and go outside even for 10 or 15 minutes, some morning sunlight will help tremendously. So toddlers, children, they have enough natural melatonin. It really just comes down to their possible incorrect bedtime we just need to fix. And then let's help them with some sunlight exposure. And then the additional one, if someone is currently on melatonin supplements or giving their child melatonin supplements, we do know that there are natural traces of melatonin in cherry juice. Mm -hmm. So like that super, super tart, 100% cherry juice, pour them a little, little shot of that and uh, maybe, you know, cut it with a little apple juice if it's a little too tart and just let them like, you know, drink that. And what I tell clients, I'm like, you know what, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, They've got some antioxidants. Oh, great. You know, so it's like, it's a win-win. It's fine. So those are some things you could do if you're currently on melatonin to to get off and then just to kind of educate yourself on that as well. Could I ask one follow-up question? This is my struggle at home is that my son has dropped naps. He's four, almost five. He has no naps when he's not at school. But when he goes to daycare, they all lay down for essentially two hours from 1230 to 230. He insists sometimes he doesn't sleep. Then sometimes he says he does, you know, that kind of thing. Inevitably, those nights, every other night he goes to sleep fine. The nights that he goes to school during the day are so hard. Sometimes he won't fall asleep till 10, 1030. We do same bedtime routine, same everything in the same order, and it just doesn't happen. Do you think something like, you know, cherry juice or is it about moving it even earlier? What should I do? Help me. Yeah. Oh, and this is such a good question. I'm really glad you asked this. No, I definitely will because it's like, I love that we have these amazing facilities, daycares and preschools that our children can Mm. go to, but it just is the thorn in Mm. my side when they offer naps this late because this late in the age, because they don't need it. But I understand like some of those kids may not get good sleep at home. So that's great that they can have that, but it's messing up your kid's sleep. And so what I would suggest then is for one, like, could we talk to the preschool daycare facility and just ask like, hey, is there any way I know this is gonna sound crazy. Could you maybe wake my kid up? Like after an hour, could you do that? Most of the time they're going to say no, because that's the teacher's break. And I get that. Another option is like, hey, could my kid, you know, I know this sounds crazy too, but could my kid be the last one to go potty? You know, they all line up to go potty before they lay down. Could he be the last one? And then the first one that you wake up just to like maybe make it an hour and a half instead of two hours. That's one, you know, maybe other way around it. And the final option is if we can't fight it and they're like, no, he has to sleep. He's got to lay down or, you know, he can't a book or something like that, then we just need to push bedtime back. So essentially, he maybe needs anywhere between 10 to 12. I know that's kind of a big range, but kid to kid, it depends. My five-year-old is on like 11 hours. That's what she needs. And so I would say like, okay, let's pretend that he needs 11 hours of sleep. And if he's getting two hours of those in the middle of the day, or maybe just an hour, depending on what Mm -hmm. he's doing that day, you may need to deduct that from the night. So if his normal bedtime is maybe let's say eight o'clock, then I would start getting him ready for bed at Mm -hmm. eight, eight, 15, Mm -hmm. maybe have just more fun time together, more Mm -hmm. of a bedtime 
nighttime routine or more activity after dinner, go outside, play, 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 and then aim to get him into bed between like 8.45 and 9 because okay. he had a nap that day. Yeah. And that does sound crazy, like a five-year-old going to bed at 9, but if they slept for a long time, you're right. You're just going to fight him and it's, it's so, so hard. hard. It's so hard. It's agony. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of just all of this, I have an issue and actually one of our uh, Shelly, one of our listeners does as well, is my two-year-old won't stay in bed. She keeps getting up and just staying. And it comes in waves. It's not something that she does every night. It's like we'll have like a good like two weeks where it's like, yes, she didn't get up today. And then it's like three weeks of every night, 3 a.m., mama. Or she does that quiet thing where she like walks into the bedroom when I'm dead asleep and just looks me in my eyes in my shut eyes and then I open my eyes and it scares all of the life out of me. Mama. Yeah. So how yep. do we keep our <laughs> little ones to in bed, stay through the night? Shelly says that he's pretty good, but there's still like mine two nights per week where he sneaks to our bedroom in the middle of the night. And there he is. Yep. That's a thing. So my answer to this is most people will not like this, but I stand by not having a child in an open bed until they are as close to three as possible. And there's reasons behind oh, this. Wow. Yes. So if we can keep them in their crib as long as possible until it's close to three, because boys especially, but girls as well, they do not understand open boundaries. Like, they're so little. They don't get it. They don't get it. They, they don't, don't get it. Get so it. Like, like, stay right there. They're like, why would I want to stay right here? It's open. Like, I could get out if I want to. So, and they cannot comprehend rules and consequences that go with an invisible boundary. Like, that just does not compute with them. So, the longer we can keep them in the crib, like, it's going to be... And you know what? It, I've had people say, well, my 18 months doing fine and open. Okay, great. It's working for you. That's fine. But for the people who it's not working for, <laughs> then we want to do whatever we can to keep that kid in the crib for as long as possible. And there's so many different things we can do. Like my favorite trick is if you have a traditional crib that had like the tall back and the low front, just flip that baby around and wedged into the corner because all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, can't climb. Even though there's one side that's lower, they're like, I can't climb out anymore. It's too solid, you know? So it's a cage. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. It's a safe cage. Guys, <laughs> a safe cage, a safety cage. That's right. It's really where they honestly do feel the safest because it's like, I mean, we may feel weird about it. And that's what I get so like riled up about is, you know, some people's sleep philosophy is like, it is a cage and I can't believe it. Like the child needs boundaries. They don't understand them. I'm with you on that. So they actually, they do feel more secure when they are in that crib because there's boundaries and they understand that and they can touch and they can feel them. But under three years old, it's just not there. So if we can do a crib as long as possible, that's great. My other alternative, like if somebody says, oh, well, my kid, you know, is climbing out of the crib. Climbs out. Yes. yes. Nothing is working. Then, you know, I would suggest trying uh, pack and play like the toddler size ones, like the four moms or the juvie, things like that, or the guava lotus with the side zipper. And then if you can put like the slumber pot on top, like it's fine because you know what? Even though they're trying to climb out, like they're just, they're struggling. Like just help them by creating the best, most safest sleep environments you could possibly can for them. And you may need to experiment with what you have and what the room situation is like. And I would say my final, final tip is to clear everything out of that child's room, except for their crib. Because if they are trying to climb out of that crib, I guarantee you something in that room, even though they're like, no, they're just coming straight to the door. Just humor me. Okay. And take all the stimulation out. Yeah, take it all out. This is what she does. She gets out. She starts playing. Yep. Yep. Just clear the whole room out. Basically, you're trying to make that room a giant crib in itself. Like there's nothing to do. You just need to go to sleep. And that is honoring the fact that she needs to go to sleep. But she's so stimulated and distracted by everything else in there. We can just clear it all out temporarily. Clear it out. And that'll help. And then maybe we should talk about her nap because if she's napping, maybe we need to cap it back or something. But those are all the things. No, I think what needs to happen is that we just need to buy her her own place. We just need to <laughs> rent her an apartment for a couple months and let her figure it out for herself. I'm not that'll into this. It. All right. It could be next door. <laughs> it could be the apartment next door. <laughs> Becca Campbell, you have answered so many of our sleep questions today. I mean. On a roll. 
I love this stuff. It's oh, really fun. Honestly, it's like a detective because most of the time we think it's like this one thing, but it's like, no, no, no. What's the root cause of what's going on? Take a step back. It's the root of it. And then we're so tired that we're just like mm-hmm. so overwhelmed. We don't even think about, you know, any of this stuff. And then we have oh. you, Becca, to come in and be our detective and give us such great advice. Wow. I mean, thank you. I've learned oh, so thanks, much. Guys. My goodness. And if listeners are interested, they can go to littlezsleep.com. That's L-I-T-T-L-E-Z. S-L-E-E-P.com for more information and some great sleep guides from Becca Campbell and Associates. Becca, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. This was a blast. I appreciate it. Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. And now, things to expect during the bedtime routine. From Toddler Purgatory. No matter how carefully you plan a loving bedtime routine, it will eventually devolve into you standing at the bottom of the stairs yelling, Go to bed! Every five minutes for an hour straight. At bedtime, you will learn about a host of ailments not covered in any medical journal. For example, I can't sleep because my hair hurts. Look it up. You won't find it. At some point, you will mutter the words, Do you know how much I would pay someone to put me to bed? Do you? Your child who refuses to talk to you all day will suddenly remember an hour-long story he has to tell you as soon as he realizes it's bedtime. Interesting timing, kid. Interesting timing. If you have multiple children, at some point they will realize the power of syncing up their bedtime tantrums. <laughs> this is going to be a bad day. Children will come up with the most challenging questions you've ever heard in your life at bedtime, and you will find yourself at 8 p.m. desperately struggling to explain things like where the Easter Bunny lives when he's not handing out baskets, also where squirrels go when they die. Your deep understanding of the value of reading to kids at bedtime will not stop you from skipping all of the pages that have too many words on them. There will be crying at some point at bedtime. It might be your kid, or it might be you, but it will happen. This has been... Things to expect during the bedtime routine. From Toddler Purgatory. Okay, we're back here on Toddler Purgatory. Blair, consider my brain blown. Blown. Gone. Done. I actually felt like I got some sleep just from her advice. Yes. And the thing I really liked about it, too, is that while it was clinical... And, you know, there are certain prescriptive things that we all can do to help improve the sleep of our kids. She also was very acknowledging of the fact that we also have to take into it all of the different personalities and rhythms of our children as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It felt very doable. She presented it in a way where I just felt like, oh, yeah, right. Yes. Yes. So maybe it's different from hearing it from somebody versus like reading it in a book because you're reading it in like your own like mental tone. Yeah. You know, it's like, put your kid to bed, right? As opposed to like getting it from a child expert who's like, you're good. Just put your kid to bed. 
And no, and one thing, one takeaway for me was that, especially in those younger years that we talked about, that each of those sleep cycles from zero to 12 months old only lasts four or so weeks. So if you're having a tough time in this cycle, just wait. You'll be all right. Just wait a month. Just wait it out. Ride it out. Just wait it out. Because it's all going to change. It's all going to change. What were some of your takeaways, Blair? I think one of the biggest takeaways that I got from talking with Becca was like, you know, again, just step back, take a look at the bigger picture of what's going on. Is my kid acting crazy at bedtime because they're just super hyper or is it because they're overtired? I always forget that part of like the overtired thing. So just like taking a step back and then adjusting in in that way because they probably are. They're probably overtired. Right. And overtired looks a lot like stimulated. Mm-hmm. And that can be confusing. So if you look at the day, if you say, hold up, hold up, let me look at the day. Ah, yes, that's right. His nap ended. It's always about math, right? It's like, okay, his nap ended at one and now it's eight. That's seven hours. You know, is that yeah. too long? Should that kid have been to bed? You know, as she said, sometime between 630 and eight, maybe your kid is on the 630 end. And you haven't had a chance to discover that yet. So give yourself the chance to discover what works for your kid. I was never good at math. So hence why I kind of fail at all this part. (laughs) (laughs) Some other numbers that stood out to me and were really good takeaways for me. 8.15 p.m. Most toddlers enter a second wind stage. Blair, let me tell you something. His bedtime right now is between 8 and 8.15. Let me tell you. Mm -mm. Starting tonight, it's going to be earlier. Because I do better bump that up. You better bump that up. I'm going to bump up bath time a little bit. Again, always turning, like looking at the clock and going backwards. Okay, what do I need to do to remedy this situation? Mm -hmm. I need to get him in the bathtub at 630 instead of 645, for instance, if that's, you know, part of your routine. Mm -hmm. I need to, he has a snack at the end of the night. I need to bump that earlier, which means, you know what? Dinner might need to be a little earlier. There it is. Mm -hmm. Look at the adjustments you can make to really kind of figure out what works for your kid by counting backwards in the day and seeing what the sleep amount was, Mm -hmm. what kind of foods they were eating, et cetera. The other one that stood out to me, and I no longer have a newborn, but I hope this is helpful to some of our listeners who have newborns, the 45-minute mark. (gasps) What a gem. That was a gem. Oh, gosh. As soon as your little cute, sweet miracle (laughs) that is a child wakes up, you set that timer. And then you know that you can get through the next 45 minutes. In that 45 minutes is feeding, is playing, is snuggling, is all that stuff. And at the end of 45 minutes, swaddle the baby, and changing, of course, then swaddle that baby and put them down again. And it might be a little bit of an adjustment, but overall, 45 minutes to, remember she said maybe 50 if 45 minutes isn't working, all the way up to 60 minutes, maybe you might need, is when that newborn needs to go back to bed. And it will take that... I mean, Molly, how many times did you just find in your day that it was just like complete overwhelm, Mm -hmm. first of all, and just monotony of just like you're just doing the same things over and over again. And you don't know when you get that time in for yourself. So this like 45 minute thing just kind of gives you that like, okay, I got these like 45 minute increments where I know I can do this for myself or this is a lot of time that we're going to do this with the baby and then, you know. Move on. Yes. It's a light at the end of a 45-minute tunnel. (laughs) It is a light. You know what else I got? And we're going to do this tonight. Crib time. Keep them in the crib as long as possible so that they have that just maintain that space, the boundaries. Like It is a literal physical boundary that helps them set up that mental boundary that like night-night time means I stay here and I give mommy space, daddy space, Mm -hmm. and me some space. I thought that was brills. I was just like, oh, you're just going to keep your kid in the crib? Okay, whatever. Because you right now are in a converted crib. Like, you you dropped your side down, right? You're in a converted crib. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, so keep the kid using the crib as a bed for as long as possible, up to at least age three. As long as possible. And then when they have, their brain has developed a sense of boundaries around age three-ish or a little older, that's when you can maybe convert it to a crib. Drop it. Yep. Ugh. We're dragging our feet on getting a twin bed because my son is getting too long. He's turning five, so he's still in a converted crib. But you know, as long as his head and toes aren't touching, which they're not unless he points his toes, which I forbid him to do. (laughs) Flat feet! Flat feet! (laughs) 
Oh, heck yeah. Don't you just wish that she just like lived with you? You just like knock on a door and Becca's like, Becca, listen, can't get the little one down. She's like, no worries. Let's see what you're doing wrong, mom. Like, oh, yes. Wouldn't it be so? Or if she was one of your friends, you know, your friend who's like a really good texter, like you text and yes, within a minute they're texting back and you're like, but how though? How? And some people are so good at being texters. What if Becca Campbell was our good texter friend? Maybe we should just make her one. (laughs) Make that happen. (laughs) I feel like having a sleep expert as a friend when you're a parent is the same as like growing up with a lawyer in the family. Like you kind of always have someone to go to when like things go south, you know? Yes. Or having a bartender as a roommate in college. Same thing. Oh, same thing. (laughs) And thank you so much for being here today. As always, listen, wherever you listen to, make sure you follow, subscribe, like, do it all. And pick up some merchandise, y'all. Get yourself some Toddler Purgatory t-shirts. You can get those on ToddlerPurgatory.com, as well as listening to the episodes there or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm Molly Lloyd. I'm Blair Brooks. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Real truth alert. Pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were. But the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.